to the Sales Influence Podcast, where we talk about finding the why and how people buy. I'm your host, Victor Antonio. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for lending me those wonderful ears. And if you're watching us on YouTube, thank you for the eyeballs. Today, I have the great Jim Dickey with us, right? Jim, how are you doing this morning? Doing excellent, Victor. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Introduce yourself to the Sales Influence crowd. Let them know who you are, Jim. Well, uh, I, I'm a salesperson by by professional background. Interest enough, my, my bachelor's or master's were in counseling. Uh, I had never had. <laughs> I didn't yet. know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, but uh, IBM had a program way way back when. When I got out of grad school, they said we we want you to go and come to work for us. And I said in HR, and they said no, you're not qualified. And they said we want you to go into sales. And I said what's sales? And they said what's counseling? And I said, That's well, right. I asked a lot of questions, like how long has it been like that? And what would better look like? And what's standing in the way of progress? So give it a shot. So that's how I got into technology, got into sales and uh, got into research 24 years ago when I sold my third software company, um, just to go and find out what are the actual primary research metrics around sales? You know, what are the challenges facing sales teams? Why those problems exist? But more importantly, what do you do about it? How do you leverage people, process, technology and knowledge? And that's been really just fascinating for us because we've seen things where the economy's good, the economy's bad, you know, but salespeople are resilient. They find a way to keep doing business. And so it's just interesting now in this really black swan event to kind of figure out what's going to be happening now going forward. Yeah. You know, I did not know you came from counseling. So that in it by itself is just a joke in and of itself. So you know that. I'm sure you've heard this many times, right? Uh, yep. But talk to me about the, because uh, I want entrepreneurs to understand your background, that you just, you know, you have some real experiences. Talk to me about the software company, the last one you sold. Uh, what was it? You know, how did you build the company? What were some of the challenges building a company uh, before we get into the other stuff? Sure. I actually did uh, companies with, with three other partners. And so our goal was to sell the company versus to sell the product. So we would get it up to, you know, 25, 35 million revenues and sell it and go do something else. Um, and so, but they were all in the high tech space. So they were all software firms. Uh, Novell bought the first one, Teradyne out of Boston bought the second one, and HP bought the third. But they were always the thing of let's go through and not just have the CIO worry about debugging the product. I was running sales and marketing in most cases, so I had to debug the process. I had to figure out what was the buying cycle look like, what was the customer's journey look like, and sit there and turn over not just you know a well-tested product, but an install base referenceable accounts, those types of things. So some other larger company could take it to the next step. That's amazing. You know, I have not heard the name Teradyne <laughs> in such a long time. They joined the S&P 500 this year. Did they? Did they? I, yeah. I remember uh, my first engineering company was Honeywell, and we used Teradyne system at their electronic test center. So I, I just haven't heard that name in a while. You know, what are some of the differences? I mean, you, you, you know, you, you have history. And I love the fact that you have real world application. You know, talk about then selling then, let's go 20 years ago, and then selling now. I know there's some obvious differences, but, you know, I don't know, from your perspective, what do you see? You know, there's there's a, a huge difference, you know, that, that people have been talking about, you know, folks like Challenger have been talking about, you know, things are happening later in the sell cycle. But there's also, as you know, you know, implications of what AI is going to do to this. So So let's go back 20 years. You know, when I was running sales organizations, you know, what I did was I was hiring people who were product experts, who were really good at persuasion, who were really good at motivation. And so we'd sit there and say, you know, you go out, but you had an advantage back then because in order to get information about the product, you had to talk to my salesperson. Well, then the Internet came along the last 20 years. So now there's tons of information out there. It's available to the customer. 
So if all you're doing is regurgitating things that they can get online, where's your value at? And I think that's been the real challenge for, for a lot of sales organizations right now, especially we just did a, a survey and we said, OK, you're coming out of you know, the worst of the COVID. Hopefully we're, we're trying to restart the engine. You know, what are you going to focus on? And the number one thing is we've got to improve our value messaging. You know, in a lot of cases now, the CFO has become the CFO. And I, and I get it. You know, no, I'm not going to do it. No, you can't. No. Can we wait? No. And so in order to get them to say yes, you know, you've got to present that business case. This is why this is imperative for the company to invest now. I don't care if it's in manufacturing, customer services, marketing, sales, whatever. You know, people are going back through and they're making investments based on, am I working with somebody who will help me? And there was a fascinating study done by CSO Insights right before I left, uh, where they went out and interviewed 500 B2B buyers. And they asked the question, um, are you involving salespeople later in the process than you used to? And everybody said yes. And then they asked another question, is there anything that would make you involve a salesperson earlier in the process? And only 9% said no, there's nothing, which meant 91% said there is something. And so I went back and said, okay, what, what, would, what would motivate you? And it really fell into three buckets. The first one is, if this is new to me, I'm happy to involve somebody who can help educate me. Second one was, if this is risky to me personally, I'm very interested in involving a you know, sales professional to help me mitigate my risk. And by the way, if this is complex, where I've got to go build consensus across the rest of the enterprise, you know, I'd like a partner to help me do that. So the buyers were telling us, you know, here are things that you could do, but it's beyond the product. And so the thing is, are you do you have a sales organization that's in a position to do that? That's a consultative type of sell. Right. You know, coming but, but, background, I, I get it. I was going to ask, because you'll, you'll have the historical perspective. And I mean that in a positive sense, because I think we're about the same age. And that is, you know, when you look at Mac Hannon's book, Consultative Selling, I think it was 1970 it came out. Yeah. And, and, and I. I think it's a seminal work. I still think it's more, it's as valuable then, today as it was then. And so what do you see? Give me some, you know, put that in context. Has it changed? Consultative selling, has it really evolved? Well, I think we're at the, at the point where it's going to evolve. So let me give you an example of what's going on that, that we're seeing. So I came across an AI company out of Los Angeles that's focusing on aggregating IoT data from all different sources for just agriculture business. So, you know, there are satellites that are flying over the earth right now and they're measuring the temperature. So I can actually tell you what the temperature in a field is in Australia. Uh, there are drones that are flying over fields. They're collecting moisture content data. There are uh, sensors on John Deere tractors. And as they go up and down the rows, they're collecting data on things like infestation. So you've got bugs, but don't spray the entire field. It's just this little quadrants where we're finding it. And so what they're saying is, let's take all of this data and let's aggregate it and let's apply it to agri-loan companies. So the Farm Credit Services out of Omaha, you know, they just work exclusively with farmers. So before, when I would go in and I would sit there and say, hey, you know, Victor, tell me about your farm. Now I go in and say, hey, Victor, let me tell you about your farm. We've got all this data. Now, when we started the season and we set up your line of credit for the harvesting, we decided that you're going to plant it the last week in, in uh, March. Well, we had a wet spring, so you were three weeks late going into April. And by the way, you were going to do soybeans. You're expecting 100% yield from last year. looks like it's going to be 93%. And based on the coldness, we think it's going to be a late harvest. 
And so we want to extend your line of credit from the end of November to the end of January to not put pressure on you. And by the way, we have some suggestions for equipment that you ought to be taking a look at for next year. That's Amazing. a totally different conversation. Yep. You know, I was going to say for, for my listeners, just to do the basics here, uh, IoT, Internet of Things, devices. Now, Internet of uh, Things. Yeah, uh, Internet of Things. Uh, things can now have things where sensors, you send data, telemetry, whatever it may be, and the aggregation, obviously, through satellites and other different collection technology. And to be able to analyze all that data and now have that information front and center when you're having the conversation, or in this case, when you're about to give out a loan, instead of saying, tell me about your farm, I'll tell you everything you need to know about your farm. That's a big shift, isn't it? That's a big shift in the industry of selling. So that's one big change. But you highlighted something. You said there are three things that the new salesperson has to have. You talk about if, or, or when the salesperson, when the buyer will bring you into the cycle early. And that mm -hmm. you said, if, if it's new and I need education, come on in. Uh, if it's risky, I want to mitigate risk. Come on. I want to talk to you. And the last one is, you know, if I got to build consensus because it's a complex situation involving multiple departments, you know, uh, bring, bring that salesperson in. How many salespeople today? I mean, literally can do those three things. When I look at B2B, what I see are surface salespeople. Uh, you know, argue with me on that, Jim. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just jaded. Uh, I, I don't know the you are, Victor. I think we haven't had to have that push yet for a while. I, I was on with the Sales Executive, uh, or Sales Enablement Society virtual conference last week. I was on with Scott Satushi and Tamara Shank, Rob Peterson. And they said, you know, what are you seeing in the world today? And, you know, what, what's this year compared to last year? And I said, you know, last year was a great year. We had a great economy worldwide. I said, but in a hurricane, even turkeys can fly. Mm -hmm. And so now the wind has stopped <laughs> and we're going to find out, can you make that shift or not? Yeah. Or were you selling in spite of what you're doing, not because of what you were doing? And I think Kate Katowski, when she was over at GE, she now over at Amazon Web Services had a sales enablement. But when I talked to her, she said, you know, we were investigating the salesperson going forward. And we think that sales skills will be important, but business skills are more important. And she pointed to the folks within GE that are part of the audit program where they go in and audit a business like GE Water, GE Power. And they come out of that program a year or two later and they've got business skills. You know, they can read a balance sheet. They understand some understand shareholder value. And she says, I want to marry those two together where you've got the business skills and the sales skills. But in addition to persuasion, I want you to have collaboration and co-creation. And I think that's going to be the thing going forward where you'll see people have to shift and move into that new role and they'll either be able to do it or not. And I think a lot of people may not be able to. Yeah, I think it might be a challenge. Uh, later on today, I get to interview Brent Adamson. So that's going to be a fun interview. Uh, and I remember uh, reading a paper by Gartner where they were talking about the, I don't want to call it the attrition of B2B salespeople, but how the customer journey, more people are going on their own customer journey uh, and finding solution themselves before they actually call somebody in. And so if we do need business metrics, right, I think salespeople should be more business oriented. In a complex sell B2B, they need to be more business oriented. We're moving away from persuasion and influence, so to speak, to make it tangible, make it real help mitigate the risk, as you said, reduce my anxiety, increase my certainty, help me build a case. And so in today's training, like, for example, uh, your sales mastery, you know, what do you guys do to help salespeople develop those skills? You know, we're really saying to folks, and we're working with a couple of, of software companies right now saying the sales process is here for one reason and one reason only. It's here to support the buying process. 
because you can go through the sales process and you can do everything except for one thing. You can't legally sign the contract for the customer. They have to sign it. And so I think the major thing is, are we taking time to really go out and understand what's going on on the buyer's side? Uh, it's interesting. I found a company out of India that's doing um, sell cycle analysis and buy cycle analysis with AI. And so before we used to do it, where we would call the salesperson, say, tell me what happened on this deal, win, loss, no decision. We'd call the customer, say, what happened on your side? We try to piece it together. And it was labor intensive. And it was, you know, sometimes biased because, you know, if you told me the product was ugly and I'm the product manager, you know, yeah. of course, that can't be right. Very subjective. Um, very subjective. Yeah. But what this thing now is that AI is calling the people after a deal. And so I can do analysis of, of past deals, wins, losses, no decisions to scale. And it doesn't ask, for example, if it's interviewing the rep, it doesn't ask you things I already know. Like I can go into CRM and see what you pitched. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. This is, this is really interesting, Chip. So wait a minute. Who does the actual calling? AI. That's what I thought you said. AI. And I go, it actually AI does the calling. And it's, it's, it sends them a message and says, answer this question. And they type in the answer. So it calls them on their cell phone. They just text back on the thing. But it's calling, but it already knows things because it can go into ERP. It can go into CRM. You know, it can say, okay, I already know what the deal was. I know what the competitor was. I know what the pricing was. What was the business issue that caused them to bring you into the first? I'm going to ask you things I don't know. And to think about that, being able to do that to scale for every deal, you're going to start really getting in these perspectives on what's going on and just saying, you know, right now we're in, you know, we're in a period where, you know, I don't know what anybody did in their sales kickoff meeting at the beginning of 2020, but I know their salespeople aren't executing on that plan today. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're you're. you're you're, you're blowing my mind here, Jim. I mean, I, I know a little bit about AI. But that one blow my mind because it, you're saying that the algorithm is going to go into the ERP or the CRM system, the platforms, whatever they're using, right? Look at what's there and go, what am I missing? And almost do a subtractive yeah. thing. And let me go ask yes. those questions. It's not an hour long conversation. It's minutes long because I'm looking for the few other details. And the key thing, I'll send you the link to this thing. It'll blow your mind. It produces a heat map of how you stack up against different competitors. And so it says, okay, you know, here's what happens when you go against competitor A and you have a 20% win rate. Here's what happens when you go up with competitor B and you have a 90% win rate. And right. it starts to give you feedback on what to do. And so it gives you directions the next time around, you know, unless you can get nursing involved at step three in the cell cycle, if you're three in medical products, don't go forward. You're, you're going to lose because purchasing is going to make the decision. Purchasing doesn't like us. We're the most expensive. Nursing loves us. Because we're the most reliable, easiest to administer, and have the less side, fewer side effects. So it starts picking up all these things from all of these deals. So, you know, the, I always joke about the fact they answered every sales challenge we've already faced, probably already exists within the company. I just I got to find it and share it. And now I can. That's interesting. So how would you, you know, now when you look at, okay, so the algorithm is pointing you in certain directions, right? Selling where you're winning the deals, losing the deals based on the heat map. How do we tie that in or how do they tie that back into the training and coaching piece with a sales enablement platform or something? How Make that connection for me. Yeah, I think it's a really good thing. On Now we're making decisions based on metrics versus hunches. So I can get this information. I can start passing it back on to marketing to begin with and just say, OK, pricing wasn't an issue, wasn't an issue, wasn't an issue. Now it is. 
Okay, why? <laughs> so I can point you to exactly, here's the issues that are going on there. We then change the way that they develop the marketing content that we use. That goes into the training courses. We need to go out and not have this thing of, let's go do, uh, at the sales kickoff, let's have a session on pricing. No, let's have one now. Let's do it today. <laughs> and let's have a little micro course on this little thing. Let's also have the managers coach differently because I'm going to be able to go and using things like Chorus or Einstein coaching now or Gong, you know, actually go and figure out who who's having problems yeah. with the pricing thing and who's not. And let's do coaching by exception. So I think now there's a ton of data that says we can bring a whole bunch of, of science to the art of selling that we've never been able to do before. But it's also selling at the speed of change. Because right now we're being bombarded. We just did a mini study and we said, how much change is bombarding your sales organization and different factors? And is it a good thing or a bad thing? And it's like, okay, well, the changes in the economy was hitting everybody, but to most people it was bad. For somebody like Zoom, it was great. You know, Marriott Corporation, not so much. You know, but there were changes in the competitive landscape, changes in the political environment, changes in global competition. Uh, and then there were self-inflicted changes, like we change our product line, you know, we enhance it, we expand it, all those, all those things are new changes that our salespeople have to adapt to. And we've got to be doing it, we've got to be able to make those changes at the speed of change versus saying, let's get around to it. Right now, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, do we have a vaccine or not for COVID? If not, how long do we shut down governments? Everybody has to react to all these things that are going on. And, you know, BRIEX has been going through this for years over in the UK. What the hell is going to happen? And you've got to adjust. And I think adaptability and agility are the two watchwords for sales going forward. Yeah, I, I like what you're saying, that, that the, the AI is trying to keep up with that change. Because we as human beings, this processing power we have up here just can't do it. And so we need the machines. And you said two things I love what you're about to say. One you said is coaching by exception. Let the machine guide us, so to speak, into telling us where do we need to coach and where do we need to be effective. Uh, I wanted I wanted to ask you something because I don't hear this topic talked about a lot. It's a simple co concept, but nobody talks about it. a content management system. You talk about how, you know, the AI system will tell you basically here's where we're missing the deals. It wasn't pricing. It was something else, the value messaging. And then we go over to marketing and says, hey, we need this. Talk about content management systems because that's a rare topic. Nobody really touches on that. Where do you see that going? You know, it, it started off and it used to be, the, you know, we're document management things. So what we got to do is we got all of these sources of things. Let's put all the things we ever wrote anytime, any place, and put them all in one place. And so it, let's take SharePoint, for example, years ago. We're just going to dump it in Microsoft SharePoint. Well, then you start having multiple versions of SharePoint. And by the way, is people, are we using this? Is, you know, is the customer reacting to it? Because again, we live in a frail ecosystem. So you have a great case study. It's doing really, really well. And then all of a sudden you're talking about the great relationship and how great you've supported Volkswagen. Then they get caught with your engineers fudging the emissions data. Nobody right. wants to touch them. They're toxic. Well, that's an extreme example, but there are things that happen all the time where a piece of content was effective. Now it's not. And I think that's the thing that we've got to start doing is start realizing we not only have to do a better job of analyzing, is it content being shared? First off, you know, a lot of salespeople, hey, are you selling that new product? Yeah, Victor, I am. Well, how come you've never sent any of the new brochures to any prospect? You know, you're staying in your comfort zone, man. You're, you're, you're hosing. Right. So are you, are you using the content? Is it resonating? And, you know, what else And what, are they sharing with their people? If we just started doing those things, that would be huge. And I think the technology is there to do that. But it's also the type of thing that says, let's go back through and 
really be allowing customers to consume things at their own pace. You know, I love some of the things, for example, like the seismic's doing is that when you when they send out, you know, collateral, it's you don't have to go through each one of the pages in the piece. You can navigate. If all of a sudden you see something, I want to go deeper, you just tag on that and it'll go deeper into that piece of information. So it allows you to consume at your own pace. And I think also edutainment is especially what millennials want. They want to be edutained. You know, I, I don't want to be I don't want to be reading manuals that thick. I want to be on something like this, where maybe there's a white paper that goes deeper into a topic. But, you know, I want to I want to get access to things. And by the way, I want to get access to everything I need to do what I want to do right now and nothing else. I do not want to be bombarded. And I think that's the issue that content management needs to start dealing with. Yeah, I, I think that's it because it's almost like the, the salesperson is the bottleneck, right? Because I can see the machines creating great content with marketing, of course, right? But the, uh, the, to me, the salesperson is always the single point of failure trying to get it to the buyer in the market because, as you say, have you sold a new product? Uh, yeah, I have, but you haven't sent out the brochures, the comfort zone. And so I think that's why customers are going down their own journey. It's too complex. And sometimes I think salespeople are not wired that way, which where the, ena the enablement platforms come from to begin to guide us. So the, the bigger question, if we have the content on one side, Jim, we definitely need that content to be fed into this enablement platform that really guides a salesperson. Talk to me about this. Is, there's this evolution in sales enablement. It's quiet, but it's, it's rumbling and I can hear it. Right. That this we are now becoming I, I like to use the word sales cyborgs. Right. It's a salesperson with the machine selling. And we're coming more dependent on these platforms. Talk to me about that and where that's going. Well, I think there, there are two aspects of that, Victor. The, the one is that, you know, I need help getting the right information on things. So <clears throat> let's take a look at Cardinal Health. They're, they're a medical products firm. They represent 300 manufacturers. They can sell 30,000 SKUs. Okay, what salesperson is going to know 30,000 SKUs? 3,000, 300, 30. <laughs> I mean... You know, so I need technology to be coaching me. And I think that's one of the things that content management could do is based on you starting to describe things, it's going to say, hey, here's the stuff to use. And by the way, here's the stuff to use by persona at different stages in the sales process. So if I'm selling watches and somebody says, uh, you know, what do you sell to, to keep track of time? At the beginning of the sales cycle, I'm going to say, here's a picture of my watch. <laughs> At the end of the cell cycle, I want to talk about, and it's tied into the nuclear clock in the UK, and it's you know it's accurate by 0.0001 milliseconds per millennial. It's a different thing because people want different information at stages. So I think it's also guiding things like that. And I had an interesting experience a couple of years ago. Uh, they were talking to me about when I said I want to see some really cool case studies around content management, and everybody kept saying you got to meet this guy named Renee down at Getty Images in Australia. And I said, okay. So, you know, I, I set up, I, I request an interview with him, do a case study on him. I call the guy. Now, I have totally blown time zone changes, uh, but he accepted my thing. So, when I got, so I'm, he answers the phone, I go, hello. And I go, Renee, you know, Jim Dickey, you know, sales manager. I said, what time is it there? And he says, 4 a.m. And I said, why did you take a phone call from me at 4 a.m.? He says, oh, I'm up early because we're talking to people all around the country. And I'm really fascinated by this. And I said, okay, what's cool about what you did? And he says, we got rid of the needs analysis process. And I go, what do you mean you got rid of the needs analysis process? I mean, that's like discovery is what, you know, I, I'm thinking of that. That's what a rep does. And he says, yeah, um, our reps don't have to do that anymore. Technology is helping them do that. And I said, tell me more. 
And he said, they built a system. So yeah, I'm thinking my wife's a photographer. That's, so that's okay to mind, by the way. That's okay to mind when you photos. said that. And they said, you have no idea what we can do. He says, we help people set up websites. We do uh, video. We do audio. We do custom shots. He says, if you want, you know, somebody, you know, in a kangaroo suit going down the Great Wall of China <laughs> carrying a wallaby, we'll get you the picture. Great visual, by the way. And, and he says, what we've got. Well, he says, what we do is he says, we built a system using some of our technologies, some other technologies, and we pointed at prospects' websites, and it does an analysis of them. And it can tell you how much is video, how much is audio. By the way, are the pictures from us or a competitor? How much is text? And it grades them for that. And so it gets back again to the different discussion where the salesperson is calling up and saying, Victor, tell me about your website. It's, no, Victor, let me tell you about your website. And you're going through and having this discussion and you're helping them say, if we did this and this and this, we think it could get higher web traffic. We think we could lower your cost of search. We could do a lot of different things on these things. And I think that's really kind of some of the new power that's coming down the road where it'll it'll just be a different kind of conversation. But you're, you're exactly right. AI is there to augment. AI is great at number crunching. AI does not have judgment. You know, it's not like data on Star Trek, the next generation. You know, it's like this is this is the real world. So you've got to apply my judgment along with the number crunching because, it, it you know, it's going to cream any Ph.D. in mathematics. AI will cream that person. But if you can't apply the judgment, it's, you're not going to take you're not going to have the full power. So it's it's the combination of the two, as you just brought up, that's really going to be the power going forward. You're blowing my mind with a couple of things here already. Uh, the Wallaby one was really one of them. Uh, no, joking. Uh, the what does that mean for the the future of, you know, a sales leader? You know, like let's say the VP of sales almost seems now like an antiquated term. You know, I'm not I'm not kicking him out of the building yet. But it's almost like, you know, the new sales overlord has to have a, a grasp of marketing, uh, mm -hmm. obviously sales, but also what's happening with the AI and, the you know, the enablement platforms to really be able to drive their team. Is there a new, the emergence of a new type of VP of sales, a, a sales operations person? Yeah, you know, I think we saw, if we just look across the hall at our friends in marketing, we saw a transformation over a five-year period, maybe seven, 10-year period where everybody was brand, you know, it's all the CMOs, brand, 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 brand. What is it today? Digital, 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 digital. You know, the guys who are saying, we need to sponsor that golf tournament. Man, they're dinosaurs today. So it's, I think you're going to see the same shift in terms of sales is, you know, go out and make things happen to, you know, let's figure out what the customer, how, how do we customer to make things new and, and unique? And I think one of the interesting things, I, I spoke at a, a, a sales kickoff meeting for United Technologies. And uh, right ahead of me, they had one of their top reps. And he was explaining why he was a top rep. And he says, you know, I went out and found something to sell that nobody else can beat me with anymore. And I go, tell me more. And he says, well, you know, we're, one of the divisions of United Technology does retrofitting of commercial aircraft. So you buy a 787 today, somewhere down the road, you're going to go through a major retrofit, probably several, because you're going to replace the avionics, the nav system, the hydraulics, the entertainments, everything. And so they have a group that does that, and they compete against other companies that did that. Well, this enterprising sales professional sat there and said, you know, there's all this data. Like, you know, if, if you buy a, a jet engine from GE, there are, I think, 32 sensors in it 
to send back a terabyte of data per flight that somebody could analyze. Well, you could also get data from sensors on the hydraulics and the aviation and all the rest fuel consumption. And so what they said was, let's go to somebody and they went to Arab Emirates Airlines and said, every time you buy a new plane, why don't you start paying us a per mile flown fee and we'll do all the maintenance. And by the way, if we decide that we need to schedule it at a, at a better time um, so that we'll do the brakes and the hydraulics at the same time, we'll do that. And we'll, and we'll have the plane be out of commission less, less time. And so they go ahead and they build this thing. Well, the key thing on it is they got the contract, but when the plane needs that retrofit in five or six years, there's no competitive bid because United Technology has all the data and they have all the money. So, you know, based on having this information, they went to Arab Emirates Airlines and they said, look, when you buy a 787, why don't you start paying us a per mile flown fee? So as opposed to five, six, seven years down the road where you write really big checks, you just write little tiny checks as we go along. And we're going to be keeping track of all the things going on in the plane. And if all of a sudden we decide, well, we were thinking about doing the brakes in December, but right now we need to do the hydraulics. And if we did them both at the same time, we could take the plane out of service for one day versus three days. So why don't we just go ahead and do that? And so there really is now a partnership together working on these things. But think about it is when it comes time for the work to be done, there's no competitive bid. They've already got the money, they've got all the data. And so they've totally changed the whole dynamics of that industry. And I think that's really where you know, you're getting back to your question, you know, CROs and CSOs need to start figuring out, hey, how do we change the whole dynamics of something? One of my favorite all-time examples was a guy named John Williams, and he would love the way things are today. Because when I first met him, they said, you got to meet this guy, because uh, he took his tech company from $700 million to $2.2 billion in, in four years. And I said, it's a tech company. Other tech companies have grown that fast. And he said he did it without adding. So it's not just a 300% increase in revenues. It's a 300% increase in revenues per rep. And anyway, well, that's impressive. And John, but John said, when I asked him, I said, first time I met him, I said, what, you, what do you think your role is? And he says, real simple. I, I wear three hats. He says, I'm a visionary, I'm a motivator, and I'm a leg breaker. He says, now I've got to set the vision for where we're going to go long term. And he says, I've got to then motivate my sales team to come along the way. And he says, but if somebody gets in my way, I've got to be the leg breaker. This is not an option. We're going in that direction. And I think that's it. We have an opportunity to reinvent and turn not only what we sell into a competitive edge, but how we sell into a competitive edge. But we're going to need a different type of, of sales leader who's going to have that vision of being an entrepreneur and will reward creativity and it's not just go make calls make it happen it's no no i'm gonna let's work together to figure out how to make it happen i'm just not i'm not focused on activity i'm focused on quality i'm focused on collaboration i'm focused on long-term partnerships i think that'll be the the things going forward that'll dictate winners and losers and and one of the things uh, at the beginning of the story you talked about how that sales rep figured out something i mean you can't ai that away you can't machine learn that you know what I mean? It takes that intuition, that that observation, the curiosity to figure that out. I think that's where the salesperson still has a role. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, when you look at, you know, again, the transformation. You Have you talked to like smaller companies, you know, big enterprise companies, small companies? 
How were they going to make this transformation? How were they going to make this change? What have you been seeing when you're working with, let's say, small, medium-sized businesses? What are their challenges? Well, I, I think there are very there are a lot of things that are very similar. So, you know, we're not having Dreamforce this year because of, of COVID. But uh, last year when I did it at, at Dreamforce, I brought on Legend Boats. And they co-presented with me at a thing. So this is a Canadian company. They make recreational boats, not the huge boats, you know, just the fishing boats, the pontoons, et cetera, out there. But I remember, you know, talking with them and they didn't, what they called their salespeople memory makers. Hmm. And I said, that's an interesting what? term. Why? And he says, because some marketing he, person. That's a marketing person right there. <laughs> now he's a sales guy. And he sat there and said, when we went out and talked to customers and they said, tell me why you're a boater. I said, oh, I've always been a boater. Well, why? Oh, geez, gee, you know, growing up on the lakes up here in Saskatchewan, you know, my family got this, my time to be with my dad. You know, I remember going out this one time when we caught this really big bass. And I remember another time going out and it was, you know, a great holiday. And my grandfather was there and we spent the day out on the, on the they were talking about memories. Right. And so I sat there and says, when you go out there, I don't want you talking about the boat and the feeds and the speeds and all that exclusively. I want you to talk about here's how you can take this thing and make memories with it. Hmm. And so I was sitting there and saying, you know, what's my value add? I mean, so I want to create, get people who want to have that great conversation and connect on that human level with this person. But I also said, you know, I want to start figuring out, you know, what, 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 what are the technologies that I can use to run my business? I've got to have a good visibility into you know what what changes should I be making back to manufacturing for what the next year's line will look like? What about the finance on, on pricing? Could we do terms and conditions that were differently? And so I think it's this constant you know conversation that people are having. But as a smaller company, you know you don't have the you know you don't have to have these huge committees. You can sit down and you know okay I run this you run this let's just make a decision. You know my dad was chief of armor at the Pentagon for years. And one of the plaques on his wall was God so loved the world. He created it without a committee. And I think that's an advantage of a small company is that, you know, you can make, you know, quick changes down the road, but it's, again, it's still, a, that goes back to the adaptability and agility. It's still going to be true for them. But I think that, you know, the amount of data available to any size company is now improving. It's not just the big guys with the big IT departments get access to the data. But you've got to have that entrepreneurial spirit. You've got to put the customer first. Yeah, it's a reminder of that. You know, by the way, the memory makers also reminds me of the pool industry. The pool industry almost does the same thing. It's all about the memories you make. Uh, the the small business trying to transform. I think it's interesting because it's got to be a step by step thing. Pilot, you know, pilot project here, pilot project there. Figure out what works, and it's more adaptability and agility in your head. Have companies realized? Big companies have. I know this, but when we look at data. You take the plane example from the United Arab Emirates, you know, that, that's value. You know, data equals assets. And I think a lot of companies, small, mid-sized companies, still don't see that as a viable, I guess, asset. You know, what do you say about that? I think, you know, there are a lot of people talking about, you know, what's going on. Jenna Rometty was talking about, you know, using the things that, you know, data is a new oil. And, and I think it is. I think it's going to be the type of thing that it, there's so much power in information because it allows you to make the right decisions going forward. And I think the key thing on it, you know, working with a small startup right now, and I sat there and said, you know, well, let's go through a map, your bicycle, uh, your customer bicycle. And he said, well, we haven't sold anything to anybody. And I said, well, do you have competitors in your marketplace? They said, yeah. He says, have they sold something to somebody? He said, yeah. Let's go through and document their bicycle. Mm -hmm. You know, what are they doing with the customers? 
And I think it's that taking that time to go out and start to get information and start to treat it like an asset and not let you know salesperson say, well, I got all the information, but it's on my laptop over here. Well, why isn't it on our shared system where we could go and analyze it? Right. And I think that's really the key on these things because you know you 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 talk about what's going on on the sales side. We've done a lot of that. Um, I was sharing some of my thoughts with one of my old engineers uh, who, who used to be the chief product officer at eBay. So all the data scientists reported up through Steve. And as I'm talking about, you know, selling, he goes, Jim, you're you're not paying attention to one factor. And I said, what's that? And he says, Alibaba. I go, Alibaba? You know, I'm thinking Amazon for China. And I said, no, no Steve, I'm talking B2B. He says, I'm talking B2B too. He says, come on over here. Let me show you something. This takes me over and shows me that you can go online on Alibaba on the B2B side that they don't promote so heavily. And you can buy a million won or I think it's $330,000 piece of mining equipment mm-hmm. on Alibaba. Yep. And so it's that thing where, you know, all of a sudden now they're coming back through and they're saying, you know, there are certain things I can do for you. So, you know, I could help you do the needs now. So why don't you come to Alibaba? You start describing your problem. Our algorithms will figure out what the three um, people that should be on your shortlist is. We'll give you a robust feature comparison of those three. We'll give you feedback from people who have implemented all three solutions. We'll tell you how much people are actually paying for this stuff. And when you're ready to place an order, we'll place the order for you. Love it. Wow. And so it's like, you know, there's, will we do that for everything? No. But I spoke at the American Chemistry Society and we were talking about polymers. And they were talking about, oh, yeah, we sell this in China, you know, online through Alibaba. These things are toxic. You know, they've got all these government regulations. And you still sell them? Yeah, we can get away with it. Yeah, Alibaba's a a, a rabbit hole to go down in terms of products. I I did that years ago, and I'm like, they're selling everything. I was selling telecom equipment, and you could buy, like, literally the towers, the antennas, the repeaters, everything. And there it is. It was amazing. And so I think that's, you know, there could be a thing where smaller companies could say, you know, can I utilize something like that to get started, you know, where they've got the power and they can get me eyeballs and things like that. But it's going to be this balance, too, because I don't want to totally get, you know, separated from the end user client. Right. And so it, it, it's it's an interesting time today. In yeah, I, I think the where the algorithm is going and you, you're, you're alluding to it, you're just pointing to it directly now. And you're confirming what I thought. I mean, you just got more more detail. And that is customers need help making complex buying decisions. And if the algorithm, uh, if the algorithm can help them make those complex buying decisions, that's what people want to buy. Access to that algorithm to help me make the buying decision, to guide me. Uh, is, there, is there companies who are really going after that? What do you call that? The meta meta? <laughs> you call that a meta meta product or it's a meta on the product? I mean... What are people doing out there today to, to actually help people make buying decisions? What have you seen? Uh, I think that there are things like, you know, Tom Siebel's uh, not so new company. C3AI has been around for a while. But, you know, they're starting to say, you know, could we could we have data aggregation as a service hmm. and go gather all of this information about an industry and start making it available to you know manufacturers, make it available to, you know, distributors and, and really try to say, you know, here's information about what this marketplace needs. <clears throat> and I think that's going to be very, very powerful going forward is that I, I would pay a ton for somebody else to go out and do the work for helping me understand where should my product be three years from now, five years from now, based on getting feedback from what you're doing. And, you know, there's a concept in AI called the digital twin, 
-hmm. where I could have an airplane of today. I built a digital twin, but I start playing around with this thing for what the 797 ought to look like down the road. And it doesn't exist, but it's something, you know, Boeing doesn't just build the airplane by themselves. They get the jet engines from somebody, they get the avionics. So everybody could be playing with this digital twin mm -hmm. and, and making, you know, tweaks on these things where my uh, CAD CAM guys are doing something and your CAD CAM guys are another company. And it sees that we could help each other and it gives us suggestions or it says, hey, you're going in opposite directions. But when you think about that kind of technology now where we're all linked together in this process, how does somebody beat out the incumbent? Mm -hmm. If I'm doing the jet engines, how does somebody come and usurp me? Because we've got all this data that we've been sharing for the last five or six years on the existing plane. Don't you think I'm going to be in the better position than Catbird seat to build the next one? Because right. I know what we what we should have been improving. Right. And I think that's going to change the whole dynamics of these consortiums coming together that once they're there, they're, it's going to take an act of God to separate them. Somebody's going to have to really, really screw up to be separated from the, you know, the mothership. Yeah, they're like entangled like a Gordian knot. You can't pull it apart. It is what it is. So bringing it back down, tying a little down, because that high-level stuff is just wonderful, what's happening, the dynamics. I'm a sales guy, because I know listen, people listen to this podcast are salespeople, right, B2B or B2C. I'm a salesperson. Let's say B2B. What should I be doing, Jim? What should I be doing? Knowing everything you know about the digital transformation, AI, everything that's happening in the market, what should I do? I'm coming fresh out of college, for example, or just one, two years in, in the industry. What should I be doing, Jim? What should I be learning to stay valuable in the market? I think one of the key things on it, and you know, we do a lot of speaking. So I work with the University of Colorado with, with their sales program there. I've done some stuff with, down with Howard Dover at University of of Texas at Dallas, their sales program. A lot of time when I'm talking to students, I sit there and say, the best thing you can ever do is learn everything about the person that you're selling to about their job. So you're selling to that VP of manufacturing or you're selling to Ernie, the guy who's on the line, you know, whatever it is, what, what are they doing? You know, so what's your job? How are you motivated? How are you compensated? You know, what do you want to do? How could I make your life easier? And I think just going in and asking all those questions years ago, God, I haven't thought of this in forever. We worked, we did a project with Georgia Pacific. Mm -hmm. So they're selling 24 pound white recyclable paper. You know, so when in the history of the human race ever going forward, are they going to have an edge? But one of the, you know, the sales guys were going in and say, you know, what do you do with my paper? And this guy goes, Oh, it's really exciting. He says, I get a case of your paper. So there's, you know, 10 reams in it you know, 500 sheets each. I take a ream of paper out. I slide my hand under it. I pop open the glue and I put it in the printer. And then I do put another because I have to load in like 5,000 sheets. And he says, I love you guys though. He says, why? He says, you got the worst glue. He says, when I run my hand through and, and pop that thing open, never, never any paper cuts or anything. And they just start talking. He says, well, what, what would make your life easier? He says, why do you have to ship it wrapped? Couldn't you just set, ship me a box of paper with 5,000 sheets in it? Hmm. And he said, so I go back, can we do that? And he says, yeah, we can do that. And he says, you know, my cost is not, you know, an extra penny per box, but yeah, we can do that. And so they just start doing that. So here's somebody going out talking and becomes that conduit between what the buyer wants and what the, and what the company wants to do. Because the company wants to do what's best for the customer. Right. And again, you can't, you can't machine learn that. I, I just want to keep emphasizing because people who think the machines are going to take over the world, you can't AI that, that type of conversation. But it's to share, you know, is to focus on, realize that you had, 
I had a friend of mine talked about it. He says, you know, I realized that my sales in were a result of my customer sales out. <laughs> and so he says, I needed to help them. They were selling to, you know, to companies doing distribution things. Hmm. So I said, I, it wasn't that important for them to understand my strategy. It was important for me to understand their strategy and then their customer strategy. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is to do that kind of exploration. Yeah, be an expert on your product. Yeah, figure out how to navigate and do things inside of your firm. But view yourself as a problem solver and, and go on that. And the second thing is continually master your skills. You know, we call it sales mastery for a reason. Bear, my partner, Barry Trailer wrote a book called you know, Sales Mastery years ago. It was a novel. And he just said, you know, we've got to constantly be looking to get better, a little bit better every day. And I think that's the key thing on this thing is I think sales is going to be an exciting profession going forward. I think you're going to see people that uh, we worked with a company, can't tell you they are a software company, but they said, we want to come up with a five-step program for salespeople where they can have a complete career in sales, but never go into management. Hmm. I said, that's good. tell me more. <laughs> this is the way you start off as a BDR. Then you become an inside rep. Then you become a field rep. Then you become a national account manager, but ultimately you become a consultant back to all the other reps. And so they bring you in on big deals. A friend of mine, Joe Batisto, had that job. He's now over Dell. His title is chief creatologist. And so what he's saying is, what are all the other things that Dell has besides the product we sell that we could bring to the table that would add value to the customer? Do we have relationships with other customers or suppliers or other manufacturers? Do we have patents? Do we have business processes? So he's constantly looking for what else can we do to deepen that relationship? And I think that even at the beginning of a salesperson's career, start figuring out what can I do to how can I be of service to you? You know, the buyer, besides just providing you a product, how can I really partner with you? And I think if you go in with that attitude, you're going to stay in sales your entire career. That's why we'll, we'll go back full circle all the way to the beginning. Why I think Mac Hannon's book, written whatever, 1970, is still of value because curiosity will never go out of style in terms of being a sales skill. Empathy will never go out of style. You can have all the technology in the world, but those two elements are always going to be there. And I, and I love the way you say that. Anyway, Jim, uh, let these folks know where they can find out more information so they can really listen to what's in that brain of yours more. <laughs> uh, you can go to salesmastery.com. Uh, there are a couple things that you may want to take a look at. We, we've put these things out there just because we want to help the sales profession. So uh, we publish an annual AI for sales solution guide. The initial one had 20 different products in it. We've got 186 in the current one, just so you can start to get updated on what, what's out there in the marketplace. And then we did our second annual AI for sales study where we surveyed 500 companies and I biased the data. I did it on purpose because I wanted a third of the people to have implemented AI for sales, a third to be evaluating, and a third to have no interest, which is not reflective of the market. You know, implementations, single digits, you know, not interested at all, huge number. Mm-hmm. But um, just to give people an idea of what's really coming down the road, because this is, it struck me, this is a party you don't want to be late to. You know, CRM, when it first came out, sales process, when it first came out, Big believer, but, you know, we're used to having first mover advantage. But if you, okay, let's say I I implement, I have a competitor, you're my competitor, Victor, and neither of us have a formal sales process, so I implement Challenger. I can show you that based on 20 years worth of data that I should have a competitive advantage. 
my percentage of reps making quarters should go up. Why? Because my win rate's going to go up. My average deal size is going to go up. My dough decision rates are going to go down. And it will stay that way until you do the same thing. And then you can catch up. With you know, this whole idea of you know, this AI augmented selling. So we did a case study on U.S. Bank. I went out and talked to him and I said, you went in and scored 4.2 million customer records in two hours. You got gave a number of one to 100 and you told all your financial officers, go call on everybody's got a score of 81 or above. And they had a 234% increase in existing customers to new opportunity conversion rate. And went, wow, great. So a year later, I called up uh, their SVP of strategy and I said, Kai, I just want to make sure I got the number right because I wrote it down in my notebook. Uh, it was 2.34x uplift, right? He goes, well, that's the old number. And I said, what's the new number? He goes, 3.86. An uplift. And I said, you went from 234 to 386%. And I said, what did you do differently? He says, nothing. The algorithms got smarter. Hmm. And he says, they're giving better advice to my people. My people are getting better at following up on the advice. And so just think about it. when I was sharing that number with one of their competitive banks, they said, do you really think we can get a 234% uplift? And I said, that's half the question you should be asking. The other is how far behind your competitor do you want to be? They're not at 2.34. They're at 3.86. So there's a concept in AI called breakaway speed that once we start, we just start going this way. And so this is a party. You could be late to the CRM party. You could be late to the structured sales process party. You will not survive if you are late to this party because you may never catch up. And I think that's the key thing. You may decide you don't wanna go into the world of future selling today, but make that decision based on facts, based on you know not knowing things because your competitors are gonna leave you in their dust. I, I love the first move concept. So if you're listening to this, breakaway speed, keep that in mind. You're probably already behind if you're not really studying this. So salesmastery.com, Jim Dickey, I really want you to follow this guy. I just, you know, I really track him. The information he has, I think, is right at the cutting edge when it comes to AI for sales and that combination. And so, Jim, thank you for your time. And I think they're going to benefit from this conversation. And there's so much to be, uh, be uncovered within the AI space that maybe in a couple of months we'll do another, you and I, really go deep into AI. What do you say? I always love talking to you, Victor. I love it. All right. And that's it for the Sales Influence Podcast. Leave me some feedback on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever you find me. Also, when you get a chance, check out the salesvelocityacademy.com, but also check out jimdiggysalesmastery.com. Track us down, find the information, use the information. Technology is changing how we do business. And on that note, I say goodbye, always reminding you, selling ain't hard when you listen to Jim Dickey and Victor Antonio. Take care. See you next time.